0: Random Ransomware News Episode 10 Bloomberg writes Death Kitty ransomware linked to South African port attack South Africa's port and rail company appears to have been targeted with a strain of ransomware that cybersecurity experts have linked to a series of high-profile data breaches likely carried out by crime gangs from Eastern Europe and Russia. The hackers left a ransom note on Transnet SoC Limited's computers, seen by Bloomberg News, claiming they encrypted the company's files including a terabyte of personal data, financial reports, and other documents. The note instructed the firm to visit a chat portal on the dark web to enter negotiations. A probe into the motive for the attack is still underway, Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon said in a statement on Wednesday. Transnet spokeswoman Ayan Ashisi referred to the minister's remarks and declined to comment further. The cyber attack on July 22 caused the company to declare force majeure container terminals and switch to manual processing of cargo. Transnet's Durban port alone handles more than half of the nation's shipments and is the main gateway for other commodity exporters, including the Democratic Republic of Congo and Zambia. The disruption follows deadly protests in South Africa earlier this month that also interrupted operations. The Transnet ransom note was similar to others seen in recent months, according to cybersecurity from CrowdStrike Holdings Incorporated. It's linked to ransomware strains known variously as Death Kitty. Hello Kitty in five hands, said Adam Myers, Vice President of Intelligence at CrowdStrike. Those strains have been observed this year targeting Polish video game, Maker CD Projekt and exploiting security vulnerabilities in SonicWall products. Many organizations still don't have a robust cybersecurity risk management policy. And that means industries like logistics and critical infrastructure are vulnerable to attack," said Lisa Donnan, a partner at Cyber Investment Group, Option 3 Ventures. There's also a global shortage of cybersecurity workers as incidents are increasing along with the average ransom price rising to $200,000 from $5,000 in 2018, she said. Ripe Target Transnet made for a ripe target because its ports are critical to the country and the broader region, Donin said in an emailed response to questions. Unfortunately, many organizations find out after an attack that cybersecurity is a business issue not an IT issue, she said. The location and identity of the transnet hackers is unclear, Myers said they were likely of Eastern European or Russian origin, where many ransomware groups are based. Some advertise their exploits online, and use forums on the dark web to hire hackers to work with them, but the gang associated with Death Kitty and its variants have kept a lower profile, according to Myers. We have not observed any recruitment or selling of anything consistent with this ransomware. E, so it is either a closed group or a private service that doesn't advertise. Transnet has fully restored operations at the nation's ports after reinstating its automated terminal operating system. Other systems are being brought up in a staggered manner, Gordon said. CyberScoop writes threat intel firm suggest ransomware gang Black Matter has ties to DarkSide. Our evil hackers. Digital sleuths at cyber threat intelligence firms have found clues that a seemingly new ransomware organization has links to DarkSide and Our evil two gangs that suddenly disappeared shortly after major attacks. From the moment DarkSide vanished following the Colonial Pipeline incident, and Our evil went dark after locking up JBS, and customers of Cassia questions swirled about whether a government took them down, whether attackers quit, or whether they simply went underground to rebrand. Flashpoint Mandiant and Recorded Future on Tuesday and Wednesday said they discovered at least some connection between Dark Side Indoor, Our Evil, and Black Matter, a group that emerged last week. The project has incorporated in itself the best features of DarkSide, Our Evil, and Lockbit, Black Matter itself proclaimed. According to Recorded Future, Lockbit is another ransomware operation that first appeared in 2019, and all three are thought to operate out of Russia. Exactly what best features Black Matter borrowed from other groups remains unclear. While Recorded Future declared Black Matter a successor to Darkside and Are Evil, the other two companies didn't reach definitive conclusions. Flashpoint said Black Matter very well could amount to a rebranding. The group registered on two Russian language forums on July 19th and deposited approximately $110,000 in its escrow account. Whoever they are. The hackers are now seeking to purchase access to corporate networks in the US, Canada, Australia and UK with an emphasis on targets with at least $100 million in revenue, Black Matter says it won't go after medical and government organizations. Flashpoint pointed out that some of those targeting rules are similar to the ideals espoused if not practiced by the Areval spokesperson with the handle unknown. The firm also said that Evil previously labeled their Windows registry key Black Lives Matter. The Russian forums where black matter registered, XSS and exploit, announced a ransomware discussion ban, in May after the Colonial Pipeline hack. Shortly after, the website for the group that's been widely blamed for the breach went offline. After the Cassia hack this month, the evil site went down, while the XSS forum banned the unknown spokesperson on the same day. Mandiant pointed to another link to DarkSide, with caveats. We have seen some indication that currently suggests that at least one actor connected to some dark-side ransomware operations is aligning themselves with Black Matter," Kimberly Goody, director of financial crime analysis at Mandiant Threat Intelli. Jen said in an email, This isn't necessarily surprising as we commonly see ransomware affiliates partnering with multiple providers. Ransomware gangs have proven fluid in their business operations, structuring themselves as partnerships. As conglomerates are offering an affiliate model, Where they lend other crooks access to their custom ransomware and other infrastructure in exchange for a share of profits. Recorded Future said the party that registered the Black Matter name on the exploit forum is likely an operator of Black Matter labeled ransomware. The group has a public Black Matter ransomware blog. However, Black Matter was more coy on the two Russian forums. Black Matter does not openly state that they are a ransomware collective operator, which technically doesn't break the rules of the forums, though the language of their post as well as their goals clearly indicate that they are a ransomware collective operator Flashpoint wrote. Health Tech Magazine writes how security training can combat the threat of ransomware. In 2020, the healthcare industry was the target of 20% of data security incidents, identified in a recent Baker-Hustetler report. The rise in ransomware attacks on healthcare organizations, and the Department of Health and Human Services to issue a joint cybersecurity advisory in October of that year describing the tactics, techniques and procedures used by cybercriminals against targets in the healthcare and public health sector to infect systems with ransomware, notably Reich and Conti, for financial gain. Cybercrime is more organized than ever before, with ransomware as a service offerings on the market enabling bed actors to use existing ransomware toolkits to carry out attacks. Ransomware also is becoming more sophisticated. In the past year, ransomware attacks have relied less on human involvement, as many of the propagation techniques have been automated. For example, some ransomware toolkits have capabilities that make them more worm-like, allowing them to spread. Many health systems and individual clinics are aware of this threat. However, as they adapt their tactics to protect against ransomware, cybercriminals also are changing their approaches to take advantage of new vulnerabilities. CDW has new guidance on how healthcare organizations can bolster their defenses against ransomware and how to respond to an attack. What makes healthcare vulnerable to ransomware attacks? Patient data is valuable. It's more difficult to change personally identifiable information than it is to change a credit card number. This makes healthcare systems prime targets for attackers who could sell the information or use it to commit fraud because of the sensitive nature of patient data and the risk to patients if critical infrastructure is impacted. Healthcare organizations may be more willing to pay the ransom. Many vulnerabilities are created through human error or end users lack of security awareness or education. End users are the last line of defense. Great security tools and methods can be implemented, but if a threat makes it past those defenses and into an end users email, it comes down to them not clicking a link or opening an attachment. Legacy tools represent another common vulnerability in that they don't provide proper visibility or control to monitor against sophisticated ransomware attacks. New guidance on how to respond to a ransomware attack. If a healthcare organization functions under the mindset that it will always be at risk of a ransomware attack, then it will be better off in the long run. The first step to defending against an attack is to be prepared with an incident response plan. Security education and training for all staff is an important foundation for preparedness and prevention. Having the right prevention and detection tools in place, such as strong email security platforms, managed detect and response tools, and multi factor authentication, especially with remote access, can go a long way toward preventing attacks and damage. Many healthcare organizations don't have the staff or expertise to provide the level of service needed. In that case, they can benefit from having a partner that offers a managed service around incident response, including monitoring and increased visibility. When choosing a partner, Healthcare organizations should seek out 24 7 coverage, since bad actors aren't always going to attack a hospital's IT systems at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. An attack could come at midnight on Christmas Eve. CDW is one such incident response partner that offers incident response retainer contracts at no cost, as well as paid retainers to guarantee service level agreements. CDW also offers an incident response preparedness workshop. Healthcare organizations should have an incident response partner someone on retainer and a playbook with instructions on what to do in the event of an attack. The plan would likely involve reaching out to the incident response partner so it can figure out what's happened, conduct any forensic work needed and get systems back online. The final piece to incident response is having a recovery plan and backups that are readily available. Data should reside in three places where it's created in a backup location and in another backup location offsite. In the event of an attack, an incident response partner would take an infected system offline to air gap it from the rest of an organization's network to prevent ransomware propagation or damage. A partner can help a healthcare provider through the entire recovery process. After systems are back online, an organization should hold a session with key stakeholders, IT leadership and the incident response partner to go over lessons learned. While cybersecurity incidents are unfortunate, they can provide useful information to identify. Areas of weakness in the IT environment. Knowing this information can lead to changes in an organization's cybersecurity priority list to create a stronger security process in the long run. Insurance Journal writes Chubb CO Greenberg stresses need to address ransomware and systemic cyber risk. Chubb chairman and CO Evan Greenberg is doubling down against outlawing ransomware payments to address the, the growing threat of ransomware. He appears to make an exception, however, for cryptocurrency payments. While I don't think the government should outlaw ransomware payments at this time, I do think we ought to be looking at whether we allow crypto payments. Because who are you paying terrorists Greenberg said during the company's July 28, Q2, 2021 earnings call. By Greenberg's argument, victims should be obligated under current anti-money laundering. laws to get permission from the U.S. Department of the Treasury to make a ransomware payment? Evan Greenberg We should be removing the incentive out of the system for ransomware attacks, which are all about money for the most part, and unmask what is the intention to disrupt our country politically. Unmask that part of it and show it, Greenberg said. He also advocates private and public sector partnerships to address the growing problem. There are all kinds of things that the private sector and public sector could be doing together, Greenberg said. Sharing of information is one of them right now. And understanding where systemic risk aggregations are is another it is more than about achieving rate in cyber today. Greenberg's comments come as the onslaught of ransomware attacks is forcing some cyber insurers to reassess their business, with massive rate hikes, scaled back coverage and more on the table. On the rate hike front, cyber pricing in the US jumped 56% in the 2021 second quarter alone, and 68% in June, according to a recent Marsh report. Ransomware claims frequency and severity seem to be the cause. Under that context, Greenberg noted that the pricing environment for cyber is pretty good, but it fails to address the fundamental issue about cyber that the industry has to wrestle and Chubb is starting to address. Part of the problem, he said, is cyber and pandemic cover are very similar. Like pandemic, cyber has a catastrophe profile, and the nature of CAP potentially is that it has no time nor geographic boundary to it, Greenberg said, evoking an argument he has made before. You take the growing digital interconnection of the world today in everything personal and business, and that potential for catastrophe, the concentrations for exposure are only growing. Greenberg observed that risk is apparent in all the cyber attacks, both malicious cyber attacks from nation-states and non-nation-state actors, to either disrupt society or just to make money. Managing that is complex, he noted. You have a frequency of loss on one hand, and RAID and some adjustment to coverage can manage that. On the other side of the coin, you have a systemic nature of this, Greenberg said, I can tell you in the way Chubb underwrites, we are facing it and we are beginning to address it, in underwriting. Greenberg said there are also real public policy questions regarding cybersecurity, and that his firm is raising its voice in the public policy arena. The Washington Post writes the Cybersecurity 202, combating ransomware is a top priority for the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Leaders of the Senate Homeland Security Committee are poised to introduce legislation aimed at combating damaging ransomware attacks and launching a probe to thwart criminal hackers who use cryptocurrency to demand and receive multimillion-dollar ransoms. Chairman Gary Peters Dimich has been conducting an investigation into how Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have become the standard means of exchange for ransomware hackers, such as those that locked up computer files at Colonial Pipeline and the meat processor JBS largely, because it allows them to move funds quickly, and anonymously. His next step, along with the committee's top Republican, Senator Rob Portman, Ohio, will be to introduce a broader ransomware bill that will tackle several parts of the problem. The legislation is expected within the next few weeks. This is one of our top priorities, Peters told me in an interview. He declined to reveal details of the bill but said it would cover some of the areas the White House has identified as priorities in stemming the tide of ransomware attacks. The committee's intense focus reflects a swell of cybersecurity work across Congress this year that's far greater than at any time in the past half-decade, driven by a wave of damaging ransomware and espionage hacks. A bill that would require companies in critical industry sectors to alert the government when their hacked could reach a vote in the Senate within the next few months. Some lawmakers are eager to go further and mandate minimum cybersecurity protections for everything from energy and chemical firms to food plants, airports, and water utilities. Dozens of other cyber bills are also working their way through the legislative process. The crush of cyber lawmaking marks a big shift from prior years. Lawmakers historically have been skittish about passing laws with major cyber implications, especially if they impose new burdens on the business community. A 2012 Obama administration effort to set cybersecurity standards for firms deemed critical infrastructure tanked after Republicans, and the Chamber of Commerce opposed it. A 2015 bipartisan effort to create a voluntary program for companies to share information with the government about cyber threats, barely became law after months of legislative wrangling, amid fears it could damage privacy. That dynamic seems to have shifted radically with the recent spat have ransomware attacks that threaten to severely disrupt the economy and national security. The colonial pipeline hack, for example, prompted gas shortages and panic buying in the southeast. The importance of dealing with these cyber issues has certainly increased, Peters said. The cryptocurrency issues Peters is investigating may turn out to be the thorniest part of the ransomware problem. In at least one case, the Justice Department was able to break through cryptocurrency's anonymity and to identify the payment from Colonial Pipeline to the dark side Ransomware Group and claw back $2.3 million. But it's not clear how easily the department can replicate that. Peters said he's also not clear on how much authority federal agencies have now to force the kind of changes that will make it easier to track ransomware payments, and if there are laws Congress can pass that will help. He declined to give a timeline for how quickly the investigation will reach its conclusions, but said he hopes to reach some preliminary determinations quickly. Dealing with cybersecurity has got to be a comprehensive approach, Peters said. It's not just about putting better locks on the door. We also have to let criminals know that if you perpetrate these crimes you'll be caught and held accountable, and we'll also recover the money you're stealing. The keys. Israeli authorities inspected NSO Group's offices as part of an investigation into the controversial spyware firm. The government visit was to assess the allegations made in reports by The Washington Post and 16 media organizations that the company's Pegasus spyware was used to target journalists and human rights activists. According to Rick Nowak and Shira Rubin, NSO said it welcomed the inspection. Meanwhile, France's defense minister pressed her Israeli counterpart about Israel's knowledge of NSO activities. Israel is investigating the matter with the utmost seriousness. Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz told French Defense Minister Florence Parly during a meeting in Paris. My colleagues reported. French President Emmanuel Macron's phone number was on a list of 50,000 phone numbers that included some Pegasus targets, my colleagues reported last week. NSO Group said that French officials on the list are not and never have been Pegasus targets. The company has disputed other Pegasus project reports as well blocks, and files rights from disaster to inconvenience. Zerto adds near-instant ransomware restore. Disaster recovery specialist Zerto aims to deal with the corporate data cancer of ransomware by providing automated virtual machine protection with restoration within seconds of an attack. Version 9.0 of its software builds on its continuous data protection technology by adding improved backup and cloud tiering for archive data. Deepak Firma, product management VP for Zerto, Issued an announcement, Zerto9 enables organizations to deafen their business from the consequences of ransomware, and with fully orchestrated failover and failback, organizations can recover infected applications and data from just seconds back. With just a few clicks, our journal-based recovery is flexible enough to recover only what is needed, whether that's files, virtual machines, or an entire application stack from a point in time. V9.0 also provides immutability and automation features, Enhanced cloud data management and protection capabilities for end-users and managed service providers. Backup capabilities with support for additional cloud platforms. Cloud tiering for archive storage. The instant restore feature means users can restore VMs straight into production without having to fail over to a DR site first. Version 9's preservation of journal checkpoints allows users to revert to other points in time for the same VM if the selected restore point does not meet requirements. Zerto 9 can restore files or directories by downloading them, or by restoring them directly into their or original location from any long-term retention LTR repository such as public cloud. With cloud tiering, long-term retention data can be stored on S3 compatible on-premises or cloud storage such as Cloudian. Users can also tier LTR data to Amazon S3IA and S3 Glacier, Azure Blob Cool and Archive Storage classes by defining retention policies. Native cloud APIs to tier backups are used to eliminate compute costs associated with tiering data in public cloud. Backup is managed within its own separate context within the user interface of version nine, a new type of virtual protection group, VPG called local continuous backup. VPG enables configuration and management of continuous data protection, CDP-based backups and long-term retention of VMs. It provides users with the ability to segregate less critical VMs, which require only backup and restore from the critical VMs that need full Zerto disaster recovery features. Basically, Zerto claims version 9 enables customers to move on from a ransomware attack with minimal data loss and downtime by allowing users to rewind and recover data with granularity from any point in time, and do so within seconds of a disruptive event. If true, this could transform ransomware attacks from a disaster to a minor inconvenience, an ability that would make Zerto even more attractive to acquire HP. The state of security rights black matter rises from the ashes of notorious cybercrime gangs to pose new ransomware threat. FedTech Magazine writes Q&A, former federal CEO Teresa Payton outlines ideas to battle ransomware. FireEye's December 2020 announcement that the company had been the target of a nation-state cyberattack led to a series of revelations about major intrusions into government and business systems. Teresa Payton, the federal CEO, in the George W. Bush administration, Author of the book Manipulated and CEO of Fortalis Solucio. N.S. talked to FedTech about how to cope with the ever-changing cybersecurity situation. FedTech? What do you see as the key areas of cyber concern for the Biden administration? Payton, the administration filled a lot of critical cybersecurity roles and leadership roles. That's really important. I'd give them high marks on saying they want to do a major infrastructure overhaul, including broadband and cybercrime is way up on every level. Ransomware is way up. Extortionware is way up. Individual identity theft. Every single part of the cybercriminal handbook has accelerated. It's incredibly concerning. Fedtech. It does seem as though there has been an increase in the number of cybersecurity alerts in the past year. Peyton, And those are just the things that have been reported and are known. Firms like mine, we're working on things that are not going to be reported, because there's no mandate to report it. That's the client's call. We always encourage every client to report to law enforcement. If they don't have a required data breach disclosure, we still encourage them to report for the greater good. Because DHS reports cover only what is reported and known. FedTech, why do nation-state affiliated attackers seem to get more attention than other cybercriminals? Peyton, and nation-states focus on the government industrial complex. We know the most about the nation-states because that element has been going on for so long. A lot of the cybercriminal syndicates operate like fraud rings, and we're very good at busting up fraud rings, but the cybercrime element is probably the youngest part of what we're looking at. Attribution is a little harder. Many cybercriminal syndicates are loose collectives, so they're hard to identify. The other challenge is cyber incident fatigue. Every week there's something. Everybody's overwhelmed with life, and this is just one more thing. Explore. How does role-based access management enable zero trust? FedTech should any enterprise that has been attacked be required to report it. Peyton candidly, I have mixed emotions on this. On the one hand, I would love for every victim of a cybercrime, whether it's a business or individual, to report it. From a greater good perspective, it could help. But I have really mixed emotions because of our lack of remedies for individuals and organizations once you are a victim of a crime. Fedtech, How valuable would it be for government agencies such as CISA to have the authority to hunt down cybercriminals? Payton for CISA, you have to work out the legality of it, most critical infrastructure is owned by the private sector, so what is your jurisdiction? Second, attribution is very hard, if you're taking action against the perpetrator, but they're actually hiding on an unsuspecting victim's infrastructure, are you taking action against an innocent bystander who doesn't even know they're being used? There's a lot of really interesting innovative tea hinking there, but the practicality of executing has challenges. Fedtech is it possible to tell how much impact the SolarWinds hack has had on agencies? Payton, in a supply chain event where a code base was compromised and installed and then stealth access was allowed for months because of that you don't ever really truly have a handle on what you're dealing with. The only way to ensure ongoing trust is that you can't trust what you had. That's the challenge with something of this magnitude. I don't think we'll ever fully know the extent of the damages. Fedtech, did the environment of the past year, with people working at home and endpoints scattered outside offices, make everything more vulnerable? Payton, while solar winds began before the pandemic, when I'm advising companies and government organizations now, I say, look, if you had a roadmap to do replacements, this could be a really good time to not convert, but to move over and retire. Take this opportunity to do some cleanup, and then think about what the ongoing playbook should be to avoid the next solar winds. But you don't want to be so focused on that incident that you miss the point, which is that software code was compromised. This could just as easily have been open source that was implemented into a commercially available product. Open source development is incredibly popular, but with it comes risks to the supply chain. FedTech, what cybersecurity issue worries you the most? Peyton, I am very, very concerned right now because I am dealing with many cyber incidents that involve ransomware. We have a reputation for helping companies get back online without having to pay. But the insurance companies are starting to say we've done the numbers and it's cheaper for us to pay the ransomware to the syndicate than it is to pay for your restoration. So I don't see this problem getting better anytime soon because we are paying ransom. The only way to beat these ransomware syndicates at their own game is to have the best and brightest building the master key to unlock the doors so we don't have to pay. I would like to see that be a major part of critical infrastructure build out. We just have to put the focus, and the resources on it. State scoop writes how state and local governments can prepare for ransomware. Over the past few months ransomware attacks abounded, ranging from the Colonial Pipeline, the meat industry and most recently, the software vendor Cassia. State and local organizations, including the Baltimore School Districts, the NYPD Fingerprint Database, and the state of Texas, face their own barge of malicious cyberdacks, and often have fewer resources for protecting themselves. With the federal government preoccupied with the fallout from solar winds, state and local officials are oftentimes forced to defend their systems on their own When an attack finally occurs. Because state and local organizations are especially vulnerable to the challenges in cyberspace, they need tailored guidance if they want to become more cybersecure. to better capture the cyber-attack landscape and provide concrete recommendations for state and local organizations. My colleagues and I at the R Street Institute published a report Enhancing state and local cybersecurity responses, after analyzing state incident reports, interviewing various practitioners and experts, and examining response and organizational models, we have gathered a list of best practices for state and local government organizations. Our first recommendation is the perennial plea to increase state and local government resources for personnel and funding. Although one of the duties of the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency is to help coordinate federal resources with state and local government. It's underfunded, outmatched and exhausted. States meanwhile, spend less than 3% of their IT budgets on cybersecurity. According to a 2020 report from the National Association of State Chief Information Officers, and only 36% of states have dedicated cybersecurity appropriations. The IT budget itself is often only about 2% of overall funding. With CyberDex costing states anywhere from $665,000 to $40.53 million in recovery costs, a cyber budget that's just 2% of 2% is simply insufficient in today's digital age. Luckily, state and local governments can bolster their cybersecurity knowledge by setting up systems that draw upon resources from the private sector. Several states have begun creating volunteer programs to help strengthen their cyber capacity. Michigan's Cyber Civilian Corps Wisconsin's cyber disruption teams and Ohio's cyber reserve are all dedicated to recruiting the necessary talent to respond quickly during a cyber incident at minimal cost. Having commercial cybersecurity aid for sharing knowledge and tools between state and local workers before the event of a potential cyber attack can drastically improve existing protocols. Such practices of sharing information can also strengthen cyber defense measures as they encourage a diversity of approaches. Officials at each state and local government should also establish a cyberattack response plan and a planning framework, making each section of the plan as detailed as possible can increase cybersecurity capabilities for prevention and response in manageable, incremental steps. In April alone, state and local officials have had to deal with a staggering 31 publicized ransomware attacks worldwide, according to the cybersecurity firm BlackFog but educating state and local organizations to establish better contingency planning structures by following best practices based on past experiences can make the challenges ahead more manageable. State and local governments can become better prepared by drawing lessons from each other. The better the information-sharing systems are between the state and local levels t. he better organizations can develop organic cyber-response approaches and capabilities for more resilient structures. Forbes writes seven factors analyzing ransomware's cost to business. Having disrupted our fuel supply, our food supply, the healthcare industry, and even education, the impact of ransomware has truly been devastating. U.S. officials are already calling it a national security threat. Ransomware investigations now receive a level of priority on par with terrorism. Calculating the true cost of ransomware involves several variables, and because of that, estimates vary widely depending on the particular industry and who you ask? For example, the FBI estimates ransomware losses at $29.1 million in 2020. In contrast, other reports claim these run in multiples of billions, whereas the healthcare industry is said to have faced losses in excess of $20 billion. So how does one calculate the true cost of ransomware? The best method to reconcile these massive discrepancies is by generalizing standard business disruption and downtime trends. Here are seven factors to consider when calculating ransomware's real cost to business. Cost of Ransom Payment This is probably the most direct and obvious cost, but usually, it is not the largest. Although a majority of ransomware attacks go unreported, and the amounts paid are typically not always disclosed, average payouts, from small to large enterprises, are often north of $300,000. There's also the fact that average costs can be skewed by a relatively few exorbitant payouts that receive headline attention. Cost of disruption and downtime. While most governments and security experts discourage businesses from paying a ransom, current studies suggest that 68% of companies end up paying. This is probably due to the fact that the resulting downtime caused by such cyberattacks results in enormous productivity losses, disruptions in services and downstream impacts. According to leading MSPs, The cost of downtime is almost 50 times greater than the ransom demand. When leading international currency exchange TravelX was hit by ransomware last year, not only did it lead to several months of interrupted services for its customers, but other banks that relied on TravelX for currency exchange were also affected. The losses were too great. TravelX filed for bankruptcy. Cost of Forensics and Recovery Ransomware forensics and recovery can take a major financial toll especially for companies that did not have an incident response, disaster recovery, and business continuity plan in place. The current average cost of ransomware recovery is estimated at nearly $2 million, while the average cost of forensic engagement alone is $73,851. Especially true for small businesses, the impact of ransomware is so significant that many never recover and are invariably forced out of business. Cost of Data Loss Studies reveal that over 90% of victims that end up paying the ransom Don to get all of their data back. Some decryption tools end up being faulty, while in other cases, cybercriminals simply walk away without providing decryption keys. A lot of times data stolen through ransomware attacks is sold on the dark web, and these eventually serve as new entry points for deeper levels of cybercrime. This is another gray area that must be considered while calculating ransomware damages. Cost of legal Companies that fail to prevent data breaches can face large penalties from authorities. Ransomware attacks can lead to customer records being leaked or services delayed for extended periods of time. Privacy violations negligence, service downtime, and loss of business can lead to expensive lawsuits fines and settlements. Not only this, per a new upcoming federal law, simply giving into a ransomware demand may lead to fines both for the victim and also the insurer. Cost of reputation loss. This is perhaps the most durable cost and also the hardest to quantify. It could take years for businesses to recover their customers as a result of a damaged reputation, public admission to a ransomware attack and severely impact investor confidence and strain relations with valued stakeholders. When data or services are actually restored, it's not always easy to win back trust and confidence, especially if the entire process is not handled in a transparent manner. Ransomware attacks are also known to cause the biggest damages to stock prices, especially when investors find out that there could be production or supply chain issues or loss of vital information. 7. Costs of infrastructure before and after ransomware hit Total cost estimates should not only include the defenses you have to put in place after a ransomware incident, but also include the price you paid to ensure a ransomware attack doesn't happen again. These typically include Infrastructure costs that help mitigate the risk of a ransomware attack. Backup costs and labor costs relating to ransomware preparedness and incident response. Cybersecurity insurance premiums if any. It's also imperative that you beef up your defenses, identify and remedy the root causes of the initial attack. Studies show 80% of victims who paid ransoms are hit by ransomware again. Ransomware has become the next global scourge. Per Cybersecurity Ventures, Ransomware damages are likely to exceed $265 billion by 2031. Invest in technical defenses, policy and procedure to effectively patch your apps, and roll out security awareness training combined with frequent social engineering tests to build a robust security culture that quickly identifies attacks. It might be difficult to calculate the true cost of a ransomware attack, yet one successful ransomware infection is far more costly than years of investment in ransomware prevention.